Uh, welcome along to the latest Forever Blue podcast. Uh, we're all in a great mood today, of course, after the fantastic victory against Chelsea, which uh, set pretty much, I think, a new benchmark as far as City are concerned. Uh, I'm not saying they've not played quite as well as that before, but that was right at the top of how good it can possibly be. So a great victory down at Stamford Bridge. Uh, I felt, I've got to say, I, I felt, very, I know it sounds a bit corny and a bit cliched, but I felt very privileged to be sat there in the crowd watching that and thinking, God, am I lucky to be able to watch two good teams. I know Chelsea were quite defensive in the way that they played, uh, but that's that's the style that they play in. But two quality teams, quality passing, very intelligent football, slick and masterful. City completely on top. I think they could have won it by... Uh, probably two or three goals in the end, um, but but just such a privilege to sit there. It was just just such a joy to do that. Uh, so we're going to celebrate that. I think most of the podcast today will just be talking about how good City are. Can't blame us, can you? Um, <laughs> I, I think they were that they were that good. Uh, now I've got Gary Owen with me, the legendary Manchester City midfielder, um, a hero of mine when I was a youngster watching football uh, in the team with Peter Barnes and all that sort of stuff. Great raconteur. I've worked with him on the radio loads of times as well. So not only is he a hero of mine, but he's a friend. So, Gary, thanks very much for joining us. Always a pleasure, mate. Uh, we've also got Andy, who's one of our regular contributors to Forever Blue. And, of course, Paul. I said, of course, Paul. Uh, Paul Prestige Car Repairs, um, who, for the purposes of anybody that, if we put a video version of this out, He's wearing his Batman outfit tonight, uh, so, um, so that's how you'll know it's him. Anyway, um, thanks very much to charleslouis.co.uk, who are the sponsors of the podcast. Uh, without them, there might not be a podcast, so thanks very much to them. They are chartered mortgage advisors. They do all sorts of things to do with buying and selling properties. I've got a friend, actually, he's just selling a house at the moment, and uh, they've had something like 23 inquiries for their house. That is where the property market is at the moment and if you're thinking right i'm just about to move or you know i need to get a mortgage or something and you're a bit confused and you want to get some advice by somebody who will give you that personal advice look at charleslouis.co.uk look at their website there's a phone number on there they're a manchester company give them a call and they will try and help you as much as they can and, and try and negotiate what can be a very stressful time of your life selling a house having having your car repaired at a garage um, you know, buying buying windows or being a footballer. Uh, those are all the things that are very stressful. And my panel tonight are experts in those fields. So uh, it's nice to have them with us. So uh, I've said what I thought initially about the, the, the victory at Chelsea. Whoopee, honoured to be there. Um, Gary, what, what did you make of it? How good was that City performance at Chelsea? I think you've, uh, I think you've explained it, I think, from start to finish. We went out with a, a determination, one, that we were going to give the ball away. And if we were going to give the ball away, it was not going to be easily. And we got the ball back as quick as I've ever seen us get the ball back against a quality team away from home, as Pep keeps saying, uh, the Champions League winners. And, and to this day, uh, I'm baffled how, how they beat us. If we'd have played another nine times, I think we'd have beaten but that one time. It's the first time ever, I think I can say, since Pep's been there, there wasn't one performance in that Champions League game that that you could say was typical of how they could perform. So when four or five don't perform, you're struggling to win. But when 11 don't perform, then you're never going to win. And that's what happened at that night. But yesterday, the whole team played excellent from start to finish. You know, and that, that thing about not having a central striker and not having uh, a, a presence up front... 
Um, it may affect, it may well affect other teams, but it doesn't seem to be affecting us last season or this season. We've seen, we, you know, we could have we could have easily been in front by more than one on Saturday, and I think one nil flattered Chelsea. To be fair, it should have been by far more. Uh, but having said that, you know, it's a team that at the end of the season will be challenging for that uh, Premiership, and I think we need to take points off probably four teams that, that uh, more than they need to take off us. We probably know who the other three teams are that will be there at the end of the season, I would imagine. So, providing we take more points off them than they do off us, I think um, we will be the ones to be in front of if you want to win that Premiership. Absolutely. Um, Dave, what did you, I know you were down there. What did, what did you make of that performance? Uh, for me, I can't remember when we played as well, uh, to be honest, Ian. Um, I think for me, the one thing that probably hasn't been spoken about, um, obviously, the collective performance, the energy levels, Everything Gary's just said, you could you could feel it. But for me, we had a captain yesterday. Really, the big thing for me yesterday it was really obvious in the warm up that Ruben Diaz has really put his uh, name on the armband, and I think that was a massive factor yesterday that very few people, if anybody, has spoken about. But you could really feel it uh, inside the ground um, that the team were absolutely as one. Nobody was gonna. Um, it was my tackle, not yours. The pressing was unbelievable. I've never seen players in any team ever uh, press as hard. It was exceptional. And you're quite right. It should have been two or three nil. Just for the finishing and some decent goalkeeping, it would have been. So, yeah, brilliant yesterday. You know, really uplifting. Um, I think it's put us right on the on track for the remaining games this week, which obviously will test us uh, again and test the squad. But, yeah, brilliant. Fantastic. I can't argue with what you say about Ruben Diaz. Um, I mean, right from the, the word go when the team came out, within two or three minutes, I could feel that that collective sense of will to win. And nobody, to me, um, illustrated that better. I mean, Ruben Diaz may have done it on the same level and there may have been other players on the same level, but Bernardo Silva just come, come out. He's like a pocket dynamo and he leads that press. Um with so much dynamism and so much cleverness. I mean, I, I love the fella. He's, 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 I'm so glad he didn't go in the summer. Um, Paul, what's your take on it? There's not much I can add to what both guys have just said there. It was, it was, it was a masterclass, really. That was, if there was a blueprint to be printed of what Pep has tried to do since he's been here, that was it for me. Um, everyone pressing, everybody on the game, Few little stray pass, uh, passes went astray, but it, you know we weren't bothered about that. It was it was it was a majestic performance. Um, I know they used to say um, that, that Colin Bell, you know, the Jinsky had you know like an, an amazing you know amazing engine. Bernardo Silva's got to be got to be right alongside that because that to me yesterday was probably one of the best games he's played for us. You know, he didn't score. Um, he just he just got everywhere. He's every blade of grass got covered yesterday. You know, Cancelo, you know, another guy that was under the radar. He was awesome. Rodri was, you know, he was he, he, you know, we've got that replacement in Rodri. I was a bit worried about him at first, but he seemed to settled into that role now and he was just cleaning everything up. It was it was, you know, a solid performance. You know, if if anything, being critical, the only the only person I could so slightest bit of criticism at was um, that um, Kevin De Bruyne. He just looked a little bit tired for me and not fully fit. 
you know. So that how can you criticise? That's the only criti- criticism I can come up with from the performance. And obviously, there's been a lot talked about strikers, and I know it's deflected the goal, but Gabriel Jesus, the way he took that, the way he spun. Um, uh, obviously, we know he's got a bit of a low centre of gravity, which gives him an advantage in those tight situations. And it might not go down as the greatest goal of the season, and it might not be on match of the day's goal of the month at the end of it. But I actually thought that was a very special goal in, in that type of a match, Gary. What do you think? Well, well, any goal, any goal certainly uh, is an important uh, goal. And yesterday at Stamford Bridge, the first goal was always going to be uh, decisive and we needed to get him, we did. But having having said that, you know, I mean, Jack Grealish could have had two, should have had one without a doubt. I mean, apart from the Kepa save, which was a magnificent save with his fingertips across the goal, when he's through, Jack's got to score that. He has to score that when he's, he's one-on-one. But listen, let's give credit to, to the keeper. And then, uh, and Gabs, when he's there, the ball comes to him, he's on the line, he's really got to smash it so... The defender has no chance to clear it off the line. And so if we say three or four, and I'm, I'm not being when the blue tinted specks on it, it could easily have been four. And I mean, easily have been four. And one nil, as I said before, flattered Chelsea. Chelsea were frightened of us from the first minute. And the more we had the possession, the more they sat back and sat back and sat back that they couldn't get out. In the end, a home team that were the Champions League was playing with a flat back five. And then include your keeper, that's six. They just could not get out. And when they tried to get out, we took the ball off them and we penned them in. Now, to do that against somebody like Chelsea that have started the season off well, you know, they've, they picked up a point at Liverpool and they only conceded there with a penalty with 10 men. Um, you know, they've, they've started off the season well. And the big thing also, if we'd have got beat by Chelsea, we'd have, six, we'd have been six points adrift of them. But as, as luck should have it... Um, Everybody at the top who, who who were vying to try and win that dropped points. So it was a great weekend for us all round. Absolutely. I mean, it's hard to pick a man of the match out of that game. I mean, um, what sort of a message is it? I mean, it's a cliche, I know, but what sort of a message does this send out? I mean, does everybody else now run scared a little bit? Were Chelsea maybe even a little bit scared of City? Because Thomas Tuchel... Um, could have been more progressive. I mean, I spoke on the vlog that I do to a Chelsea fan after the game and he said, once we were behind and there was 20 minutes to go, you know, we, 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 you saw the real Chelsea. Now, that may be a slight exaggeration because he's a Chelsea fan, but we saw more from Chelsea. We saw more of a positivity. They did not show that earlier on. So it makes me wonder whether they set up not to get beat rather than to actually win that game. And that perhaps is a compliment to City, isn't it? Because they were at home. Well, sorry, guys, I don't know you speak to them, but, uh, but for me, it looked that City was trying to win the game and Chelsea trying not to lose it. And OK, saying, oh, yeah, we, we um, you know, Chelsea came into own last 20 minutes because they took players off and put players on that were attacking. So they had to push forward. But in, in that time they were pushing forward, they were leaving gaps all over the shop at the back. And, and I was saying, well, we, if we would have took our chances a little, which I can say all season, I mean, we had 25 shots against. I can't remember, we played a couple of weeks ago, 25 shots and scored one goal you know we've got to when we have that many amounts of shots we've got to get more on target and we've got to pick up more goals you can't have 25 25 shots of the opposition and only score one goal not with the quality that we've got and that's something that we have got uh, to pick up on I mean even when we're beating teams five which we have done I think Arsenal and Norwich we did five apiece I mean 
that could have easily been 10. And I keep saying it every time I go on your, your podcast, Ian. Somebody is going to get done 10 at our place. I mean, it, it, it's got nearly up there a few times when we were out sevens and what have you, but somebody is, is going to get 10. And I mean a premiership side. I don't mean a Rotherham that comes or whoever we played in the or a Burton when we played in the Carabao Cup. I'm on about a Premier League side is going to come to our place. And when everything just goes tic-tac-toe, bingo, it, somebody's going to get a 10. I'm certain about that. And that's and that's with a centre-forward or without centre-forward. We play because we revolve. So players, players are going into spaces that centre-backs don't, don't know who to pick up or how to pick up because the normal game for a centre-back is to have somebody up alongside them. They don't have anybody there. So they're like fish out of water. When they try and push in to pick up somebody who's dropped deep, they're out of their comfort zone completely, and that's where we open spaces. And when teams, when teams come and defend in the numbers like they do normally at the Etihad, it's important. If we get an early goal, if we get an early goal, all the plans go out the window and they've got to change it. Just as Chelsea had to change all their plans when it's a bit more, uh, a bit more attacking. But having said that, when it's a bit more attacking, they haven't been attacking at all. So the, when they started to put on more offensive players, it made more spaces for us. And, uh, uh, you know, teams like Chelsea, who will be vying to take our, our Premiership title off us, will know if they want to push men forward at your peril. I think there was a draw at the Etihad against West Brom um, yeah. last season and the season before where it became a pivotal game because City hadn't played particularly well and then went on this fantastic run. Uh, do you think the Southampton uh, result and performance from, let's face it, just over a week ago will end up being a pivotal game for this season, Andy? Time will tell. Um, I think something happened between Southampton, apart from the Wiccan game, obviously. I think definitely the players have had a look at themselves because I've not seen us be as physical on the pitch in a long time. And I think yesterday what we saw was you know, one-trick pony Tony Rudiger trying to kick Gabby Jesus off the ball. from He never rattled him. He didn't take him off his game. Aspilicueta and James, Grealish saw them both off. You know, don't forget that's a massive thing, you know, for, for play, playing against Liverpool next week with a weak right back. I mean, that's a great thing to see. So I think, you know, we've started to lay the marker down to say, you know, we're not going to just uh, be nice triangular football, lots of possession city anymore. Diaz had Lukaku sorted out. You know, the three Portuguese lads, we referred to them already, were absolutely incredible yesterday. So there's something of a mini clique going on with the three of them saying, we've got to lay a marker down here. So if, if, if the Southampton game somehow lifted uh, Pepe's team, the players, especially knowing the week they've got and probably going into that game, wanting to lay a marker down and say, you know, we're in this title. This is our title. We are the champions. We intend to defend it. They couldn't have done it any better. And I think Paul, you know, saying about Kevin De Bruyne, it was quite clear he was not at the races fully yesterday. But the pace of that game yesterday, a fully fit Kevin De Bruyne with the pressing that we were doing, and he was part of that that press throughout the game. He did well to last the 70 minutes, I think, before he was replaced. So all in all, I think um, something definitely in these players uh, the preparation, the mentality, uh, the physicality in particular, and, and Gary will know better than any of us all about the importance of that. I just think they just said, no way are we coming away from here with anything other than a win. It was clear. 
Well, I've got two perfect people to, to talk about this because both Andy and Paul are former rugby players. And I would argue, I mean, watched some rugby league in my career as well, that uh, winning the battle, you know, the, the sort of the pack battle or whatever you want to call it in either rugby union or rugby league is essential. It then allows your other players to play. And that physicality that you talk about there is, is at the key of that, that hard pressing, that shrugging off challenges like Gabriel Jesus did, which is a, a great example of it. I think Phil Folden did a little bit of that too. Um, he's, he seems to have learned how to stand up against stronger players a little bit more. Relatively speaking, he might have been quiet, but I can certainly see a development in the way that he's handling stronger players now. Do you think, Paul, from having watched a lot of football, obviously, in your life, but obviously I've played the rugby game as well, that that is key to the difference between City against Southampton, City against any other team when they've not been really at it and what happened against Chelsea? Absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> when, when we played rugby, we used to hunt in packs. So, we'd, we, you know, we'd, we'd kind of... You know, you'd have that nothing's coming past me mentality. I don't care who you are, how big you are, nothing's coming past me. If every one of you in your line has got that, your hunting packs, you know, you you, you, you you pair up on people. You know, you go high, you go low on them. You, you make, them, make them know they've been in the game. Now, football years ago used to be like that. When, when Gary were playing, you, you know, you were proper men, you know, me and Andy know how hard it is to stick a 15-stone bloke who doesn't want to go down on the floor, how hard it is to get him on the floor. And you see a lot of players falling around and rolling around. City seems to have manned up, if I can say that word. And, and you know, we're not got a ground easy. We're not rolling around. You know, when we are touched and tackled, they're not going down as easy as they used to, where they're not diving around and stuff. And it, it was so, it's so refreshing to see it's... You know, the mindset's completely different. Now, whether somebody's behind the scenes, they've got somebody in working on the mindset, you know, they've got a coach in to do something with them, I don't know. But there's definitely been a shift in, in mentality for me, like you were saying, Ian. And it's collective too, isn't it? I mean, in, in the area you played in, Gary, and this is not meant in any way as an insult to your era, but comparing it to the current City era, where it seems to be a very collective thing, it felt to me as if the players were a little bit more individual. You know, you'd have a, a certain type of player like Barnsley, you'd, you'd have your particular role, and other players within the team would be a little bit different. But they all, you all had to deal with physicality, didn't you? Did, was that a collective thing? Did that come from the manager or... Perhaps uh, the Ruben Diaz of your era leading out, like the Andy Morrison would be another a good example of that, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But listen, <clears throat> now um, everybody wants to show their engine. Everybody wants to lie down and roll about. It, it was just, it was not acceptable a to show that you've been injured, or b to be roll about because it, they that was like a one-upmanship for them. But trust me, if somebody needed to be got, they were got. I remember Brian Tolbert playing for Ipswich against us, and to this day I don't know what he'd done. But the first, but we we went for the kickoff, and Ace said to me, "Just put something like a lob wedge over the top of uh, Brian Tolbert's head, right from the kickoff, just floating, just above his head." So back it came. I just nice little backspin on it, just put it above Tolbert's head, and Ace hit him so I uh, blasted him. He went down, bloodied nose. That was in the first seconds. Next thing, Willie Donicky cracked him. Then. Uh, Brian Kidd put his six studs in him. And I remember him 
going towards this is all in the first half, by the way. And I played with Brian Talbot at, at uh, England B level, and, and I liked him actually. You know, I got well <laughs> with him well. And I remember him going towards uh, the main stand where the away team dugout was, and he was running towards the touchline. It was nice and slippy and wet, which is perfect. And I set off just to go and win the ball, and I heard him say, Do him, do him. And it was a collective shout, and my only thought was was to take him in the ball, which I did. And when Talbot eventually landed on me, he just said, what have I done here? I said, I've no <laughs> idea, but if I was you, I'd get off. <laughs> because it's not going to get any better for you. I don't know what you've done, but they want you badly. Anyway, he played 45 minutes. He didn't come out for the second half. And to this day, I don't know what he'd done or who to. But it was a collective that everybody knew. If somebody had to be after, that we would hunt them down. And, and that didn't have to be in packs, by the way. <laughs> we hunt them down individually. <laughs> There's no coincidence. There's no coincidence. I got sent off six times in my career, and at 63 <laughs> years of age, I'm still I'm still suspended for one match in Europe. Has <laughs> <laughs> the crowd played like part it. in all that? On all that fun and frivolity, if I can say it, Gary, you know the fact that the crowd are back now and are yelling from the touchlines and showing all that passion because the City fans down at Chelsea, Leicester as well, yeah. the two away games recently have been phenomenal. Of course they are. Listen, but it's been missed. It's like anything. When you've when you've not had something for a while, you know, you, you want to get the fulfilment out of it. You know, you don't realise what you've got until it's gone. And for 18 months, we'd, we'd lost, you know, we'd lost going to games and the players had lost that that, um, that support from the fans. So everybody's in, enjoying it now. And it, it's great. Listen, it's great to see everybody back. It's great to see that, you know, a bit more normality is coming back. I don't think we're out of the woods by any stretch yet, but at least a little bit of, of normality, and that's great, uh, not just for sport, but for life in general, isn't it? Given your story about Brian Talbot, have you got any stories about you being on the pitch and hearing the crowd, anybody barracking you or giving you extra incentive yeah, to play well? It would always be, it would always be, you know, it would always be, West Ham was the worst because you're right up against the crowd there and us being Northern and them being Southern, you know, um, it, it, we've always had that banter about the Southern softies and, you know, uh, the Southerners don't like the Northerners, and especially in football and perhaps in rugby, I would imagine as well, it went on. But, um, you know, it's always the grounds that would, were close to you that you could hear everything. And West Ham was right on top of you. I mean, right on top of you. So even when the game was going on, and normally you wouldn't have, you wouldn't hear anything because you're involved in the game, you know, you, you're concentrating on the game. But trust me, you can go down that line, you could hear people shouting at you. I mean, you know, and swearing at you. And that was only the women. So <laughs> when you go to West Ham, it was it was a brutal experience. But but listen, it, it, it's part and parcel. I, I remember Steve Daly saying when, because um, he was a good friend of mine, Steve Daly said he remembers his first derby. And he said he went to Old Trafford. And as he's getting off the coach, he had this like cream suit on. And, uh, and all the United fans and everybody used to wait for that coach coming in. And so all of a sudden, this meat pie hits him smack right on his chest and a big stain over this light-coloured suit he had. And when he looked up, it was a City fan that had thrown it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Story, that, been... Whether that's a true story or not, but it still makes me laugh. It wouldn't have been oh, yeah. me, I'd have met it. <laughs> I know it wasn't Paul because he loves his pies. He would never oh, No, I, I'd have met it, mate. I'd have gone and licked his suit. Don't worry about well, that. Still re- well, still Regis, you know, I mean... I mean, West. I mean, we went to West Ham and that place. I mean, you know, uh, with all this racist stuff, it was unbelievable. It, I mean, 
when uh, Brendan Batts and Remy Moses and, and Cyril, you know, went to West Ham in particular, they throw bananas at him and everything. Soon used to pick him up and eat them. <laughs> he also had a good appetite, Cyril. And, uh, and I remember when I came back with City, uh, when I came back with West Brom, I just left City and gone to West Brom and we played them uh, at Main Road and it was pouring down with rain. I mean, absolutely tippling it down. And Main Road was was not in the best condition. It had sand all over it and whatever. And no matter what Stan did to it, it was in terrible condition. And um, and the other two, the other Gene Kelly stand, you remember where they used to give everybody <laughs> those those white <laughs> mats they used to put on just to keep the rain off them. So Reese is walking down the tunnel. He just come out and sort of looks over. The Gene Kelly stand said, "Jesus Christ, is this, is this the gathering of the Clue Klux Klan?" <laughs> Oh, <laughs> Brendan said, "No, I'm not. I'm, I'm not having it today. I'm going back in." <laughs> oh God Almighty! Only City oh. can do that. Well, just to bring you back to the match a little bit, um, as much as that was great to hear those stories. Um, as far as uh, as that game is concerned, what do you learn? Do you expect City now and Pep to? to play the same team in the other two games and just before you answer that one the three of you um my friend Stuart Brennan who writes the Manchester Evening News um who's uh, and he's not been well and uh, now he's thankful he's okay again he had he had COVID but I saw him down at the game at Chelsea we were on the same train going up and down and uh, on the underground as well and um he told me that after the game he spoke to Pep and he said he I think I might have riled him a little bit uh, and he, I said why what did you say to him he said, well, I did ask him whether or not maybe the performance at Chelsea had illustrated that playing with a defensive midfielder, you could see this coming, couldn't you? You could see Andy's face then, um, uh, shows that it worked. And then uh, Pep gave him a bit of a stare and a glare and whatever. Um, so I'm going to ask you the question. Pep obviously just gave Stuart the glare, but does the fact that Rodri played so well and played in that holding midfield role <laughs> maybe it's, it's something we should talk about because it's gone now and it opens up that old wound. But should should City, should Pep have played a defensive midfielder? And, and how brave is Stuart Brennan to ask it, Andy? Eh? Well, it's funny. You know what? I can remember exactly in Porto when the team sheet was read out and we're all looking at each other in disbelief. And just uh, next to where I was in the ground... Uh, Peter Schmeichel was doing some, uh, I think it was Danish or American TV. Noel Gallagher was with him and Schmeichel came over and uh, basically said, what do you think about this? 60 games, at least one defensive midfielder. He's, what, he asked you? Yeah, yeah, and, but not, not on camera because basically I think I'd lubricated myself a little bit. I think he thought, he thought it was Andy Morrison. <laughs> and he, said, <laughs> he said, what do you think about it? He said, because we can't believe it. Um, that he, in 60 games, he played one of them both. And today he's played none. And I just said, well, the lad I'm out here with said if he didn't play Fernandinho today, he wasn't even leaving the apartment. So so I think, you know, City fans sort of expect um, some kind of response to Porto and they got it. And old Stuart did that. I mean, that's prodding the lion. I mean, that's just, <laughs> let's let's be honest. He, he, you know, he got it completely right yesterday. When the team she came out yesterday, most of the people at the ground were in the um, the bunker underneath, which was the which is you know the bar uh, the away end, and I think they put the heating on to fifty eight degrees C. <laughs> Everybody's pouring with sweat, making making us drink more. I think even though it was quite early, 
Um, and you could just see five pounds seventy seventy a beer, wasn't it? It was indeed. But you could see um, a lot of the people immediately uplifted by the team selection, and I think that might have just played into the hands of City, because I'm sure Tuchel said in his post-match interview, I caught it, I think, when we got home last night, that Chelsea looked like they were trying to defend uh, or protect something. So I think that was a statement in, uh, of sorts to sort of say, you know, Jorginho and Kante are not going to have the run of it today. And they didn't, and not at all. And I think Rodri's uh, inclusion, as well as the way he'd set up the press and the way that everybody wanted that ball back within, you know, two, three seconds of losing it, it was quite clear that there was a game plan yesterday. And I think in the Champions League final, their mentality was, was better. Um, I think we got a complete reversal yesterday. And yeah, well done to Stuart. I'm sure he's going to get absolutely no questions at the next presser whatsoever. <laughs> It'd be all right, Stuart. He could stand up for did himself. You, did you say Stuart has had Colby? Yeah, yeah. I think I think one of the side effects must be affecting your eyesight because he gave Bernardo seven out of ten for yeah. his performance. You know it's funny you should say that because on the platform of the underground station, I said to him, Bernardo, head and shoulders today. If every player deserved 10 out of 10, it's Bernardo Silva. I bet you only gave him about six or seven, didn't you, Stuart? And he yeah. said, yeah, I think I gave him seven. Yeah, oh, he's had pelters <laughs> for it. He's had absolute pelters for it on social media. He's like, but yeah, if he's, you know, if he's had COVID, then I can accept it. He's obviously not fully recovered yet, has he? <laughs> the second part of the question was about team selection. Obviously, Pep, I think for the first three games, picked the same <laughs> 11. And I don't know whether he's changed his philosophy. And instead of just compulsively changing things, he will give a player who's played well the, the, the role to stay on. And maybe that's why Laporte has stayed in position and Stones hasn't got his chance yet. Uh, having said that, obviously, that was at a stage when there wasn't a game every three days. Well, I just wonder, Paul, whether you think now that 11 at Chelsea has to be the 11 that start at Paris Saint-Germain and starts at Liverpool, or do you still think it'll be a bit of a, of a change round in midweek? I think there'll be a few changes midweek, to be honest, because out of all the games, you know, connected this next couple of weeks, I think the Paris Saint-Germain one, we can, we can, ultimately we could get beat and it not really affects our, our chances in the Champions League. So I think the, the, the game to look at is Liverpool. Um, I think there'll be some changes. Um, you know, I think, I, I, I think DS will stay in and maybe Stones come back in just to give him a run possibly. Um you know, Kevin De Bruyne again and Phil Foden are coming back from injury. And, you know, we've, we've, we've touched on Kevin De Bruyne's fitness. So I think, again, he may start Kevin and, and just see how he's going and give him, you know, give him some extra legs for a, for a weekend. I think there'll be some changes, but I think Pep's now, he's changed a little bit, you know, because he's, he's, people say he's stubborn and he's, he's, he's very, you know, set in his ways. But if you look how he's been since he's been with City, I mean, he's been at this club longer than he's been at any other club now, and he's he is he is changing how he does things, and he is you know he apart from you know he he got forced into the striker situation with injuries, he's he's changed it around and again. The Premier League is he's pretty much uh, playing the same way as what City does, but they just can't do it as well as everyone. I mean, they were trying to play it out from the back yesterday, Chelsea. And it was quite embarrassing, really, because they, they, they couldn't get it further out of the box before they got it took off them again. You know, so Pep, I think he's developing and he's not as stubborn as he used to be. And, you know, if you're in form, I think he's keeping you because all the lads are fit, aren't they? I mean, they're all, 
fine specimens and they're, uh, they keep they can they can cope with it I think what would you do Gary I mean it, I, I understand what Paul's saying there and I tend to agree that the game in midweek is the least important of the three fixtures so do you does Pep in his head think right I know what the team's now going to be at Liverpool next weekend and do whatever he needs to do as it were in Paris I mean I know he'll want to win the game and if Messi's either not fully fit or doesn't play then that takes away one of the big threats of course and if they can win again there at the group's pretty much done already after two games isn't it so you know I don't know which way he'll go what do you think well uh, nobody can second guess what what he's going to do uh, um, he will not want to get beat by Paris that's a certainty he listen he'll think of that one first and Liverpool next and I agree with Paul I think um, Liverpool's important we need to go there and, and make a statement like we did at Chelsea, but equally as, as much. You know, we can't take this group for granted because Bruges have already shown already where they took a point off, um, off PSG in their first game. You know, the club wants to win this Champions League. There's no two ways about it. Pep, if you asked him what he wants to win all the time, he would say he wants, he wants the Premiership. He thinks that's the, that's the holy grail for him, but the club want to win the Champions League. Yes, he will not want to get beat at PSG and he won't think, oh, well, it doesn't matter what the result is there because Liverpool's more important. <clears throat> I don't feel. I think he'll, he will feel, he'll, he'll pick a team that will get a result and obviously he'll look to win it. If he can't, he'll look not to get beat in it. But I think after the game against PSG, then he'll, he'll reassess um, the Liverpool game. I don't think he'll be thinking about Liverpool before PSG because that is a big game. PSG's no too well. All three games this week were, were as hard as you could probably asked for, especially with them all being away from home. Um, and as for the, um, uh, I think he, he will start with Laporte probably uh, uh, as well, as, as long as there's no injuries, because I think it's important, uh, like he, when he's been changing the team, especially early season, is because he needs to get game time into these players. He needs to get minutes into the fitness and that's what he tried to do. But as the season goes on, you'll see the team start to settle down. And, and I agree with, uh, I can't remember, I think you said it, Ian, that he will be playing, he will be changing it every game. I think he changed the team 58 games. I think it, 58 games in the trot, he changed the team two seasons ago or whenever it was. I think he is learning a little bit more that sometimes you need a bit of, of stability and players playing with each other get, as John Stones and Diaz found last season, they got a great... Uh, rapport between themselves. So it's important that they get that, especially in the back. It's important that the two centre-backs and the goalkeeper have a great, great relationship. All the best teams, if you look through from the teams that's dominated over years, whether it's been Liverpool, United, Arsenal, when they've been dominant all three, you could almost, we all could pick who the goalkeeper was and who the centre-backs were, and then they built the team around it. I think it's important that we do the same with Edison, Diaz, and whoever that is at the moment. It's Laporte. Now, John Stones has been excellent, but but Laporte is, is a fine player. He's, a, he's an international player. He's a, now he's, he's a Spanish international. So we're fortunate to have somebody. And Stones will have to try. Will have to get some game time in at some point. But I'll be surprised if he starts it up against PSG when he's had no game time apart from England this season. I, mean, I think he'll start with Laporte and, and get again. But nobody, as I say, can second guess what Pep's going to do. I mean, we can all pick a team and I bet we're all wrong. Probably. And certainly me anyway. Um, one game we haven't mentioned since the last podcast is the midweek game against Wickham, where we saw a whole load of academy players playing. 
Uh, a lot of love was was put onto Joshua Wilson Esbrand, who played at left back. Uh, I think the fans loved the fact that he was attacking down that left-hand side. But we saw Finley Burns, a player I've seen quite a bit in the EDS, uh, and Bette, another young player, who I know David Ayres, the former Oldham players, is his agent, and he's talked very highly of him as well. Um, I, I just and Lavia is another one who was running up and down, warming up this today, Romeo uh, at the at the Chelsea game. I just wonder what your, impre- your early impressions are. I mean, I've I've seen these players playing in the EDS, and I always find it difficult to be able to predict the jump up that they're going to make. Um, do, do you feel any of those are, are knocking on the door, Wilson, Esbrand, particularly because of the? Uh, the, the fact that he's a left-back and obviously we know that Mendy's not available and there is still a slight question mark about a left-back. Could he could he fill that role? What do you think, Andy? Well, unfortunately, I was uh, away uh, for the game uh, and haven't actually seen it. So I'll be, uh, <laughs> I'll be you know, shooting blind about the performances of the game. But what I would say is that um, catching the, the, the result as it went on, and hearing, uh, you know, about the game uh, during the game and then subsequently after, I just thought it was refreshing to hear that we had these players who were able to come into the team, play the style of football, watching even in the warm-ups today, the two, the two Not lads, anywhere. The two lads uh, who were warming up, the quality of their, 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 their ball passing and their possession. I think they just feel very comfortable amongst these, uh, these elite stars. So... It's no surprise, really, to hear that, you know, when they do have their chance, and I think this is one of the reasons why the Carabao Cup or the, or the uh, you know, the, the Man City Cup, hopefully again this season, um, is so great for us because we do have the opportunity to to use the full squad and to bring the EDS lads in. Um, so, yeah, as, we, as we've got with Foden, to see other players, you know, make it into the first team, is, is only encouraging. <laughs> and, and I don't know, you've got the, the wife and the cat in the room with you, Paul, at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like doing, it. it's like doing the podcast with Tony Morris. <laughs> <laughs> the, cat, the wife's coming, the cat's coming. She's, she's not happy because she can't get petrol. The cat's got no food, so it's uh, it's all, it's all, all gone. Hell's broke loose what, in the kitchen. If an emu comes in next, then I'll, 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 I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Have either of you, Paul or Gary, had a chance to see any of these young players then? If, without, I don't know whether you were working away in the garage, Paul, or whether you got down to the uh, the game. I didn't get to the game. I was a bit disappointed. I couldn't get to it, to be honest, because, to be honest with you, I've been to one game this season and it was one goal I've seen. I've missed all the others. So it's, I need to stay it's away more often. Anymore, Paul, I know that's, that's it. it. People are paying me to stay away. Um, I watched it. I mean, it was. Uh, I know it's, it's 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 quite off the, the mark here, but I was chuckling to myself every time they mentioned them, Betty. I just kept thinking of uh, Michael Crawford and uh, Frank Spencer. Was, <laughs> when he said about uh, made a good impression, I was I wish I'd have got my hat on because I didn't have my mac on. I did an impression for you, but um, no, the kids were brilliant. I thought. I think. I think he, he, he did it perfectly right by having, you know, there was a back four of youngsters. So like we've been talking earlier about, you've got a full set of, you know, they play with each other. It's a unit, it's a spine of the team. And, you know, the, I thought Pep did well by having them all in, in together. And against that big fella, that striker, I mean, he was he was like uh, man-mounted, he wanted. So he was very physical and it was a good workout for him. 
Um, no, I, I, I think the bright, the future is very, very, very bright. Show us the cat thing. The player you were talking about, of course, was Akin Fenwar, who, who got a great reception from the City fans when he went off. I've seen him play for, for a couple of different clubs in the lower divisions. He, he's a bit of a man mountain. He's, he's, he's probably about as big as Andy is. Um, you know, big, big fella. Uh, but absolutely gifted, totally the opposite of Andy. You know, lovely to <laughs> tall, you know, and, and, and reads the game brilliantly. And you've got to admire plays like that. But in He's all like, seriousness... Andy sweats thought, a lot as well. Very similar. <laughs> I thought the way that the City fans uh, applauded him off was just so... I made, it made me feel so proud because, um, you know, football fans get a lot of stick in all quarters and our fans seem to get more stick than anybody else. But I thought that was a touch of class, didn't you, Gary? Well... The only other time I've seen anything like that was when that Fred came, remember, from the Poznan. Yeah. And in fact, yeah. you know, to me, I think, so. are you able to do that without moving your mouth? That <laughs> <laughs> it's obviously something impersonating a cat. No, it's it doesn't shut up. It doesn't shut up, honestly. It's, it's, it's a nightmare. It's... Yeah, but the, well, the last time I saw anybody get applause like that was that Fred when he came with with Poznia or whoever they were, when we played him in the Champions League, whatever we played uh, but, you know, he's, he's 39 years of age. He is an absolute unit. There's no two ways about it. And, and I thought the young boys did exceptionally well against him because they didn't try to win it physically against him because they know they couldn't. They sort of let him have it and his first touch was not the best. So his second touch is normally a challenge. So they were looking for him to just miscontrol miscontrol either control uh, is either by feet or by chest or whatever and then try and nick in front of him but I thought they all did well at it and you know it's it's unusual for Pep to put so many in one in one uh, in one game and to put a whole back four and Lavia who's played in the centre midfield looked looked a Pep player never give the ball away always wanted it looking played the simple pass could change direction yeah I do believe you got a cat now um, yes so um uh, yeah, it was a good performance by all all the boys, and and obviously the left back looked like a left back that can do something that Zinchenko can't do, that Mendy can't do, that Cancelo can't do. But having said all that, Cancelo, for me, is a footballer. You can play him right back, you can play in midfield, you can play in left back, you can play him anywhere. You can play him as a winger. He's got a great brain, he's got a great touch. He can see a pass. And, and really should score more goals than what he does. I know he's playing the fullback. He should score more goals. When he gets to the edge of the box, he, he can finish. I, I mean, we've seen how he's finished before when he scored. He should score more goals because he's a footballer. There's no two ways about it. He's a left back, but he's a footballer. He can play midfield as easy as he does at the back. Let me ask you a specific question now, Kevin, which, uh, Kevin, it's about Kevin, actually. It's about Kevin Parker. Um, and I know, Gary, uh, Kevin's one of your pals. He's one of mine, I'd like to think, as well. And somebody that anybody who's known him for all this time knows what hard work he does and how respected he is uh, among not only the City supporters, but I think the footballing world as well. And I can't help thinking, this is my opinion, that he, he got stitched up a little bit by Sky TV when he was asked about um, Pep's comments, which uh, obviously they were all over the media and I don't really want to go into that yet but I just wonder I saw Kevin at the last home game against uh, against Wickham and sort of you know just said to him listen keep your head up you know pal because you you know you didn't do anything wrong type of thing he gave his views on the Pep situation he he's got vilified by a few people what, what, what did you make of that Gary you as I say you know Kevin very well don't you 
Well, he's, you know, by the way, we need to make one thing very clear to everybody that that doesn't know. He does all that work for no financial gain whatsoever. He does it out of the goodness of his heart. And he's, the, like I said to him, you must be off your head. I love City, but why would you do all that work? I mean, it's constant. It is constant what he does. And the way, you know, and, and whatever he does is always, always, always criticised, you know what I mean? So it, it's, it's an unthankful task what he does. And I don't think anybody else would do that job or could do that job. But that's beside the point. All this kept did was he, he replied, or he was asked the question, he replied to what Pep said. And I've heard it many times. And what Kev said was absolutely right. That's what Pep said. Of course, he'd, although he said he was misinterpreted. Okay, well, that's his opinion, but it came out the way I heard it, the way that Kev heard it. Uh, so all he did was, was say what it is. And, um, you know, it is difficult. We are not, we don't have the history of a Man United, Liverpool, and uh, I'm trying to think who else, of, of those two in particular. You know, I mean, United had 70,000 for the, the midweek game in, in the Carabao Cup against, against West Ham. Now, we're ne- we can't get those at this moment in time because we don't have that history. We don't have, we've not had the success, although we're starting to get the success that United had over 20 years with Ferguson and the way that Liverpool had it with Shankly and Fagan and whatever. We're building on that, you know, and our, you know, and, and the thing about that, about the Champions League game, when they said there was 38,000 there. I spoke to Steve Robbo, and you know Steve Robbo, uh, Ian, and Robbo said to me that they have to give the, uh, they have to give the delegates of the Champions League at five to eight or, or, uh, or two minutes to eight, or whatever, before the game starts, what the crowd is. And the crowd was 38,000. But there was another seven, there was people that were still not in the ground by then and probably didn't get in because we know we've had a problem getting fans that, into that ground because the turnstiles and this with the passes and all the, the way they've changed everything and it's especially the first game of the season was queues miles long to about 20 past three I think before they got him in so we've had, had problems with that but there was 45,000 tickets sold for that game now whether or not there was another 7,000 outside and trying to get in or there's another 3,000 outside and 4,000 didn't turn up because quite surprisingly and you guys will, will probably know this anyway people buy the tickets and don't show up and I don't just mean go and sit in the stands, but corporate as well. You pay for corporate and either don't show up or buy them, but don't show up. Now, that baffles me. So it, it was a little bit of a, a red herring that when there was only 38 because there was over 40,000 in there. But, you know, nobody wants to hear that. It doesn't make a story. But, yeah, I think Kev was, you're absolutely right, Ian. He was hung out to drive by Sky. Uh, so, you know, maybe maybe somebody from the club or somebody next time with their own sky, maybe should put them on the, on the ropes of it and, and maybe, uh, maybe give them a little bit back and see, and see how, the, how they answer it. Because I'm certain, you know, I know the reporter's got a job to do, but he, he put him in an awkward situation, which it, it was a situation that needed to be done. Or I even spoke about, but they want to cause, uh, they want to cause some sort of headliners. And that's what they did. I think if Kev was to do that interview again, if he was to do it, he would have he would have said it a different way, but what he said was absolutely right. He answered what he heard. Well, I'm glad you said all that, and, and you've given us a great insight as well. Actually, very interesting insight, which a lot of fans had said to me after that game against Wickham. There were a lot more than just thirty-eight thousand in there. I mean, oh. I saw the official thing as I was up in the in the press area because I was covering the game for Sony TV in India, and I, and it came up as thirty-eight thousand and sixty-five. And I said, well, that's what it said on the screen, but it, I, I hadn't 
had that insight that you've just given us, Gary, mm -hmm. about it being something that was given as a, as a figure long before the point when everybody was necessarily in the ground. And when yeah. you reflect back on it, it did look like there were a lot more in the ground. I know you wanted to say something, Andy. Yeah, I, I mean, I think Kev's been uh, a victim of the, uh, I think Mo said it on last week's podcast, this uh, red agenda that there is. In, uh, and we all know why. It's all about numbers. And there's no need to go into that. There's a very simple solution to all of this. And it's Guardiola should go into, uh, you know, the offices of the people at City, no names, and simply say, what do you have to do to make this place full? Just do it. Vincent Company did his MBA. He wrote his thesis on the impact of fans in matches before COVID. And the outcome of that was there's a positive impact about having fans at home, which we all knew. But COVID proved it academically more than anything else. And now we've got fans back. We start to see that away win, um, you know, prowess reduce. So it's all about saying the fans matter. The fans matter. So what are we doing? Giving fans such grief about getting in to matches. Uh, why, why is it that it's so damn difficult to get right? And I think this has got to be the focus of the supporters clubs, Kevin being the leader of the OSC, City Matters, and, and all the people at Manchester City this season should focus on how we make sure, how we can possibly make it happen that there's 55,000 people less, of course. We don't always get the away end uh, full, so there's another couple of thousand to sell in the upper tier in the south stand. So there's, there's you know, there's 50,000 seats to sell. How are we going to make sure that they're sold out? And it's not about playing the best football because we've been doing that for bloody years. So it's more than that. Something else has to be uh, done to, to make it creative, whether that's ticket pricing on certain games, whether that's ludicrous decisions about not being able to transfer cup schemes this season. That was ridiculous and well done to whoever got the club to reverse that decision. Well, I think but we can give a lot of credit there to Mark Todd, who's been on the podcast, who's on City Matters, because I think he was one of the leaders of pushing that back. So well done to Mark. But oh, I think, yeah, I you're think, dead I right, think, Andy. I think Pep's quite right in, 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 in the sense that he knows that a 12th man <clears> makes a difference. And, and be sure the away ends, as you've mentioned before, at Leicester and Chelsea have been great. And I think actually part of the reason for that, I've noticed it because I've been at the games, is there's a lot more. Uh, a, a lot more younger element there because I think there's a few of the older boys who aren't actually in the momentum yet of going back to the games there's no loyalty points for them anymore so they don't have to do it for that I think the prices uh, as well suddenly we're all used to not spending all this away away uh, match money and, and, and suddenly it's become a bit pick and choose so I think there's a lot more younger fans going to the away games than, than, than perhaps uh, there has been of, of late and they're you know tanked up and wanting to have a day out and they make a lot of noise. So I think all of those factors mean if you want to have a proper voice, just stay out, go away. That's the, that's the best way with City, without a doubt, or if you're in Paul's nutty area to abuse <laughs> the away fans, fair enough. So I think, I think the club's got to look at that uh, together with all of the um, connections they've got with fans and work out all the best ways through the course of this season to never have this situation again. And this, this, this thing about blue empty seats, it doesn't bother me in the slightest. I mean, I don't care whether we've got a, a full ground or not, except that I know 
that an atmosphere does impact, and I'm sure Gary can speak about it uh, from personal experience, how that impacts upon the performance of the team when you've got a full house and, and a boisterous crowd behind you because it's it's been known for decades. It's nothing new. It intrigues me who makes these decisions at the club. <clears throat> um, it's, it's like, you know, I've said this a few times now, little businesses like, like myself, we, we're firefighting all the time. We, we, we're adapting. We're moving on our feet. We're having to make decisions, split-second decisions that, that you know, can make, make or break your business. Big businesses with loads of money behind them seem to have loads of people making these decisions. That I mean, I look at the at city's sort of people. They're all university graduates. They've all read things in books and all the rest of it. Have they ever been at the sharp end of a business where, you know, have they actually been that fan who struggles to get in you know i'd love you know you did a vlog the other day in where you, you kind of did more of a match day experience thing you know it'd be great to do one of those and actually you know from the start to the finish of a day what it, what it takes to get to these matches you've got a, you know I'm, I'm missing it i'm not going to uh, paris you've got a paris uh, andy and uh, Ian. and you know the logistics of getting to them matches is absolutely amazing now, they should speak to some of these fans. Do, do they not look on social media, man say? Did, you know, do they not look at the... Do they not test the temperature of the room and see what people are saying? Because the, the, the fans who follow me and I follow them, we're the hardcore. And there's loads of things that come out that just City seem oblivious to. Now, it's all right you're saying about City matters. I get that, but I'm, I'm a bit here to miss with City matters because at the end of the day, the... It seems to me that more stuff's done behind the scenes and then it gets pushed to City Matters to let them get on with it. Um, it maybe need, you know, need they need to get like, you know, a consensus of opinion from from proper match going fans. It affects, you know, like us sat here, because you know, we do the home and aways, you know, I have difficulty getting to midweek matches and things, and they don't seem to be bothered about that because I've already bought my ticket. Doesn't matter to them. Well, it matters to me that I didn't go to the game, which I'm annoyed about. But the more annoying thing was that I, I couldn't just pass my season card on to somebody, to a customer, to a friend who could use that seat. They make it so difficult for each other. And you can imagine them with the clipboards, sort of like with people running around fussing after them. So, oh, that's a great idea. You know, like the Emperor's New Clothes kind of situation. Then... Oh, that's a great idea. And then it comes down to it last minute. It's a, it's a nightmare. It's not going to work. But because, the, because they've read it all in a book and gone to a university, and that had to be at the sharp end of it to, you know, get into these games and, you know, go to work, do a full-time job, and then try and get to a midweek game. You don't, you know, they get, get some normal people in there. Forget your students and your university people. Let's get some normal people in. You know, ask us, ask me. They can ring me up and ask me. And I'll tell them straight, you know, do they watch these podcasts? Do they, do they go on social media? I don't think they do. Well said, Paul. That was the, the, the Paul rant for this week. Because <laughs> <laughs> of my cat, finish... my, my cat chewed through the cable. <laughs> we, uh, we... <laughs> Is that what went wrong? Yeah, was... We lost him for a little while. Yeah, <laughs> that was why it was meowing so much. Um, <laughs> what, what, what? The way I want to finish the podcast is we started with with such positivity after the Chelsea performance, and I want to finish on the same note. Really, um, 
obviously there's Paris Saint-Germain this week, there's Liverpool next Sunday. At the beginning of this week, uh, and you probably saw it on, on the match day vlog that I did, uh, which is about the, the, the people before and after the game, there were a few nerves around. There were a few people who were a little bit anxious about the game. Uh, I, I don't sound like a, I don't want to sound like a smart ass by saying this, but I was pretty confident we wouldn't lose at Chelsea. Um, now, I couldn't say they were going to win, and I'm always reluctant to, to predict games. The one I'm most worried about is the game against Liverpool. Uh, because I think they'll be up for it, especially after we beat them at their place last year. They're at home, it's at Liverpool, and they are also, can be anyway, very intense. That's not to say City can't win there, but they will be very intense at Anfield. Um, so on a, on a positive note, has the Chelsea victory changed what you thought? I don't often do this because I'm not going to ask you for a score prediction, but what you th has what happened at Chelsea altered how you perceive the next two games. And if City were to go to PSG and Liverpool and win, we're pretty much into the last 16 in the Champions League. And without getting too giddy, come on, you know, they're going to win the league, aren't they? If they go to Liverpool and win next week as well, you know, discuss in a nice, positive way. Gary? Well, it, as I think Andy said early doors, it, was, it is a big week because it's three away games against uh, three top teams. Uh, and and what Pep said after the game is, is totally right. What it does give you is going to Chelsea and beating them when they've started the season so well and they are the Champions League winners, as he kept on saying. Um, it does give you confidence. You know, if you play golf and you get in the first first green and you hold a good putting, when you get on the second one, trust me, the putt's not as daunting because you've got that feel, you've got that confidence. We now go to, to PSG. That's why I said we're not going there to think, well, Liverpool's the most important game. No, PSG is the next important game. And that's the way he tackles everything. You will pick a team that will not, will not want to get beat there. And, and I don't mean to go there and get a draw. I mean, a team that he thinks can win it and certainly not lose it. And then he look at the Liverpool game after that. We started off well, and that's all we've done is started off well. We've got a good performance. We beat the team 1-0. It flattered them. It could have been more. It would have given a lot more confidence if we'd have beaten four 0 but we didn't. So we, one of the first three, we've got out of the way. Now we play PSG, as I think Paul said before. It's not about uh, if we win, lose, or draw against PSG. That doesn't mean that we're not going to qualify. Whether we win, lose, or draw, I still think we'll qualify. But having said that, I don't believe we'll go there and, and we won't pick something up from it. Then we go into the Liverpool game. Then we take them on. Now I will make a statement here. I don't think Liverpool will finish in the top three. So, so, you know, I think, I think our danger this year, and nobody will like me for saying this, but I think it's going to be United. I think they're going to be our danger this year. But we'll wait and see, and hopefully I'm, I'm totally wrong. Liverpool are not the same Liverpool as they were three years ago. They played those players too often, too long, too many times. You run out of steam. You do run out of steam. OK, maybe a bit of enthusiasm now. They go to Brentford, and uh, they, were, they were battling on to hold on. There to get a draw because they could have lost that in the end. So they will want to beat us, of course they will. We'll have the crowd behind and all that stuff. But we are a better team. We are a better team than them, I believe. And like I said, we're a better team than Chelsea. So when we go to Liverpool, we'll just have to go and prove it like we did last year. Uh, Liverpool don't don't hold that daunting uh, fear for me anymore. And okay, we'll have this podcast no no doubt a few times through the season. And we'll see how Liverpool go on. My prediction is Liverpool will not finish in the top three. OK, if they finish fourth and bang on, or fifth or sixth. But I think uh, that Chelsea United will be above them as well as us. Andy? 
Well, uh, you, you were right. Uh, we did uh, meet outside Fulham Broadway yesterday and you were very confident that we would win. Of course, the real reason that City won yesterday was the fact that we got covered in bird shit. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 and I can see here laughing because we said, look, we've got the lucky bird shit all over some high-rise hotel where we parked the car. There were these pigeons or seagulls or something and we were covered in it. So, um, easy. Uh, at Liverpool next week, we'll be across the River Mersey early with lots of bread crust outside the pierhead. <laughs> uh, me, me and Tom will be there making sure that we get absolutely splattered in fishy bird shit go into Anfield <laughs> to make sure that the uh, the consistency of the performance is, is upheld um, yeah so I think it's down to lucky talisman now I suppose for the rest of the season and if you do see me um, you better put a peg on your nose between now and then <laughs> in, in all seriousness uh, yeah of course um who knows? Who knows who's going to be there at the end of the season? But I know who, who will be, and that will be us. I'll follow that. If you can. <laughs> I'm going. To, I'm going to invite some pigeons. <laughs> um, I 100% agree with what Gary just said. Other field has spent force for me. Um, there's no strength in depth. Um, you know, if they they can't keep the players, you know, their regular eleven fit. You know they've only they've only got a starting eleven. There's no strength in depth there. So as was proven last year, as soon as they get a couple of injuries, they're done, aren't they? Um, I think we'll uh, we'll get into Andy Robertson. We'll uh, he'll get sent off. I think um, he's petulant. He's like a big baby. Um, getting to him, they'll go, they'll go a man down. But I I can't see us getting beat by him. We're better in every single position. The myth of the um, the scousers singing behind the ground. That'll be out of the window because they'll, they'll sing the pipes in music for five, you know, five minutes at the beginning. And then you what? They'll score a goal when you're there, nothing from them. Um, I can't see anything but a city win, to be honest. I'm being really optimistic. Um, you know, I'm going to get some pigeons. I'm going to send them over to Andy, strap them onto a balloon so they follow him around, and then uh, we'll be right. Well, I can't think of a more positive way to finish than that. <laughs> Talking about poo ending up all over Andy. Uh, so <laughs> thanks very much for uh, your contributions today. Thanks to charleslouis.co.uk for being the sponsors of the podcast. <laughs> Don't forget to look them up on the internet, on internet, as we say in Lancashire, uh, charleslouis.co.uk. Phone numbers on there and uh, get your advice about mortgages, house buying, house selling, whether commercial or private. Thanks very much to Paul. Um, obviously, uh, you'll be missed on our trip to Paris I'm, in midweek. I'm gutted, mate. I'm absolutely gutted. But please keep us uh, informed with WhatsApp pictures and videos and stuff. And I can't wait to see your mode of transport to the uh, the ground. <laughs> well, thank you anyway uh, for joining us tonight. Andy as well. Uh, and, of course, to the one and only Mr. Gary Owen. Thanks to all of you. Uh, thanks to you for listening, subscribing and supporting the work that I do. And, uh, of course, um, I, I finished the vlog yesterday without having to actually force it at all because, you know what, at the moment, isn't it great to be a blue? <laughs> <laughs>